0: from the stables in Milton Keynes home to world class music entertainment if
1: Milton Keynes International
0: Festival and a whole lot more besides this is Turn Up The Volume with your host
2: Nick Coffer. Welcome to the latest episode of Turn Up The Volume from the Stables in Milton Keynes the podcast which takes you behind the scenes of one of the UK's most loved venues bringing you something which perhaps you don't get elsewhere Intimate, detailed interviews with no hint of a rush and which really do get to the heart of the artists you love to see perform live. If you get a chance to rate this series or leave a review, we'd be really grateful. It does help to get the podcast noticed. A podcast which today is going to take in London, Yorkshire and Norway. London for the brilliant saxophonist, broadcaster and philanthropist Yolanda Brown. Yorkshire for one of folk music's finest duos, Ohuli and Tido. And Norway for, well, a quite incredible artist, Doria Isungset, the creator of ice music, bringing his ice quartet to the stables in November, playing instruments carved out of ice from his home country. It's quite the story. First Yolanda Brown, multi award winning saxophonist, broadcaster, presenter of the wonderful Yolanda's Band Jam on CBeebies, and an artist who works tirelessly with a number of charities and foundations promoting the power of music to really make a difference, in particular for young people. Let's head to London and Yolanda's studio. Welcome to Turn Up The Volume. We really appreciate you finding the time to speak to us. I know you're really, really busy at the moment. And I face a problem, Yolanda, which I suspect many interviewers face with you. And that is where to start and what to talk about first. Do you ever wake up in the morning and not know which hat you're wearing that day. <laughs>
0: I literally have a hat rack next to my bed <laughs> and I put them all on at the same time and then open my eye iCal just to know which one comes first. I think the interesting thing for me, I it does seem like a lot, but they all interlink and they all form me. Uh, so as much as I say it's different hats, it's just my headgear that I carry, really. Yeah. Uh, and I like how, you know, I could be playing a gig, but also doing something with banjam and also presenting something up the road, it
2: all works together. And I like that. I like the word interlink. Cause I was going to say it's kind of my job as a presenter to to weave it all together. And there, there do appear to be some themes which really drive you. And first and foremost, perhaps learning and and knowledge, learning and furthering yourself, but also understanding the importance of learning for everyone. Yeah,
0: I think it's important. We all continue to grow. I think that's the great thing about being a musician as well. Every gig I learn something new and these are songs that we might have been playing for tens of years, aging myself now. Uh, But, you know, we always find a new way. That's the whole basis of improvisation. You learn something, you try something new. And I think that should be something... That everybody goes through. So I do like to challenge the audience, you know, make them think out of the box. And equally, if there's a workshop or something that I can do for the younger generation, I'm there as well.
2: Yeah. And talking of learning, I'm interested in how your studies ran alongside your career. I've I've got a really good friend Emma Hatton. I know you love musical theatre. She's a a West End Mm. star. And she had a similar journey because she honed her discipline and and widened her horizons doing a sports science degree at Loughborough before turning full-time to musical theatre. And and I wonder whether there's a similarity in, in your journey there as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I was uh, doing a PhD in management science when music officially came calling, and I put my PhD on the back burner, and the rest is history, really. But I think there was something in the the subject matter that I was reading. It was called multi methodology, and combining. I won't bore you too much, but combining the hard. No, no, it's the first time deficit. anyone's talked about
2: multi methodology. On turn up the volume, so I, <laughs> I, I, I first, say yeah. I say go
0: for it. <laughs> Well, but the essence of it was, you know, combining these hard methods, which is the maths and the strategy and, you know, the, the formulas with the soft side, which is speaking to people and looking at worldview and culture. And this is what we need to do nowadays. You know, it's it can't just be data driven or just be people driven. It's the mixture of the both. And I find that in everything that I do, be it music, what theory tells us, but also what feels good through to, you know, in the boardroom, you know, listening to people. I know that this is what we said we're going to do, but actually, what does it really look like for everyone? I just think it's it's brilliant and it applies to everything that I
2: do. And of course what you're talking about is is process and, and process infuses everything you do.
0: Yes, absolutely so. And not being afraid to to go against the process if it feels right. You know, I think many times in sort of the building of my career, people would say, Oh, well, why don't you just choose one? You don't have to do all <laughs> these different things. Uh but you know, in my heart, it's what I wanted to do. I, I love Sort of how, how varied uh, the days can be. And, you know, when we were at home in lockdown, I was so glad that I had all of those other yeah. things to, to fall back on because we couldn't tour. We couldn't do go into the studio with the band. All the things that were planned for that year, I couldn't do. But... I was very busy because there of all the different elements that I could pull on. So, uh, yeah, long live the
2: variety. Mm-hmm. You say that it, it's always what you wanted to do is to perform. But when you got to uni, am I right in saying you, you still hadn't really found your tribe? You still hadn't worked out how and where you wanted to perform and with who?
0: Oh, yeah. Music was therapeutic for me at that point. I you know, started learning the saxophone at the tender age of 13, uh, although i had been making music from the age of six, from the piano first and foremost. And so music... For me as a connection was always about playing my feelings, you know, so if I'd have had a long day or there was an emotion I couldn't quite process. Out comes the saxophone. I just have a a good play along with some backing tracks or just make something up. But I'd never made that connection to what I felt in music and what it gave to me to then performing to an audience. So as you say, I went on to university and performing wasn't necessarily the first thing in my mind but music was always there
2: i read you say that for you learning the sax and playing the sax was like diarising, like like you suggest there that it was a way of uh, of of having almost a second intimate voice and i find this really interesting because i see it a little bit in my children who who perform as well and it is a way of expressing yourself outside of that sort of face-to-face communication or writing or talking It, it is a second voice isn't it
0: oh my goodness it's a gift because sometimes you can't actually Vocalize a feeling or an emotion, or for fear of, I don't know, <laughs> um, for fear of making somebody feel bad if you say something yeah. out loud, you know, you'd, you'd filter yourself. And I think with music, especially instrumental music, you don't have to filter anything, whatever that raw emotion is. And there might not be a name for it or a feeling for it. You can put it into the music and also adding performance to that, connect with an audience as well. And I always find it fascinating how, uh, especially when we talk about mainstream, you know, there needs to be lyrics and they're quite scared of instrumental music. But I love how an audience comes to a concert. It might be their first jazz concert, first instrumental concert, and they leave thinking I've really experienced something there. And, you know, I wasn't clouded or told to, think what I was feeling I could just feel uh, and I think that it's, it's a, an absolute gift for me the player but also for the audience too
2: it's interesting you use the word scared there because I know that inclusivity is really important for you in, in all its guises and it, it, it really is. feels like the the same is the same can be said for your views on music so uh, talking of scary I mean jazz can feel a little hard to get uh, even a little really? elitist uh, it's a good example isn't it yeah. of how you can actually bring something that, that feels a little bit distant uh, to a wider audience
0: I think so. And I, I do think that that fear, and you, you have a similar thing in classical music as well, comes from the cultural side of it. You know, do you, you have to dress a certain way?
2: When can I clap? Oh, should I stand up now? Should I not? When can I clap? So I've got to interrupt you. When can I clap is such a key thing, isn't it? It's like you, when, when, when you schedule when you to to like a rock <laughs> concert or an indie concert and you go to your, your your first jazz gig and you're like, what do I do? What do I do?
0: Why should that even be a question? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And so I always love to say to the audience, before I play a note, I say, look, imagine this is my living room. You know, you come round, just to have a nice evening, nice food, nice drink and some good music. Whatever you want to do, whatever your body naturally wants to do, do it tonight, right? And if that means that you want to sway, you want to tap your foot, you want to look to the neighbour and sort of nod your head, that's okay. Yeah. If you want to clap, and actually for the performers, it might not be for everyone, but for us, if you hear something that you like a a, a guitarist has just done a solo or someone's just played something might not even be in the solo section and you liked it whoop wail clap it feeds us too and it doesn't put you off so you know oh my goodness it creates because every night is different every no matter what the set list is those songs are being performed a different way every night because it's improvised so if somebody in the audience says That makes you think, oh, they like that. I'm going to go in that direction, you know, and you have a connection with the audience. So I love to start every concert by saying there are no rules here. I want you to be yourself and I'm going to be myself and we'll have a a fantastic night. That's just for us. You know, you might come back tomorrow if we're playing a a venue multiple times and it will be a totally different show. And that's great. That's what we live for. But be yourselves, and actually, you see the whole audience. Their shoulders go down, they relax, <laughs> they sigh, you know, and we have a good night. But who wants to play to a room who doesn't quite know what they're meant to be doing? So I think everybody just needs to, yeah, just just relax into it a little bit and let the music wash over you and enjoy the experience. And this is something I learned very much from my CBB show, Yolanda's Banjo. Yeah. Five-year-olds, three-year-olds, two-year-olds don't care. No. They're going to do whatever they want to do. And when you let them, you actually see this unbridled, unfiltered enjoyment. They're not being naughty. They're not running around and thinking, I want to disrupt something, because you're allowing them to be who they want to be. Why does that change as an adult? I
2: agree. And I'm seeing it, funny enough, in my nine-year-old, who he plays the piano quite well. He, he, he can't read I mean. music, but he'll play the piano and he plays it well. And suddenly he'll play a Sparks song or we'll play a Coldplay yes. song or he'll play the Pixies you know he'll, he'll, he'll play <laughs> Where Is My Mind I'm like where's that coming from and of course it's coming from exactly the same place that you described there at that age yeah. music does have no boundaries
0: yeah it really does and, and to allow our young people to feel that emotion not sort of bottle it up which I think is something that we, we do quite a lot especially in this country yeah. with, you know the, <laughs> the British way but in a similar I've got a nine year old as well Jemima and she plays the cello And I still remember her playing this piece and she sort of was playing a piece from her book and I could see that it was internalising. She was starting to not have to read the notes as much. And then um, there's a backing track that comes with the book. I put it on and she played this piece and at the end there was just silence and I saw her sigh and then she started to cry. And I said to her, oh, Jemima, what's, what's wrong? She was like, I just feel really emotional. The piece just made me feel this way. And I said, that there is the power of music. And I had a similar experience when I was 13 playing the saxophone uh, and sort of just, just crying uncontrollably because it's so emotional. And that is what we should tap into every time we play. Can you imagine that euphoria every single time? It's a blessing, but we run away from it a lot, I feel.
2: So hearing you talk about about your daughter and, uh, and your childhood as well, uh, I suspect that there were lots of influences for you at home. I'm guessing jazz, reggae, ska, maybe some musical theatre thrown in for some good measure?
0: Everything under the sun. Nothing played though. So nobody played a musical instrument in my house, but my dad had and has the most amazing record collection my family from jamaica so everything from skia to mento to reggae soul motown classical opera we all have been to the opera by the time we're five in our family and sort of so sort of just getting that feeling of listening to music in different different guises different fields of course jazz latin jazz a lot of latin jazz oh we're spanish speakers in our house and then through to yes musical theater my dad loves gilbert and sullivan so yeah. we get a lot of that as well so I, and for me growing up music was music And I never heard genre. It was more about what do we feel like today? Is it sort of a more mellow day? Are we doing tidying up the house? You know, what do we want this music to accompany? And it was only till I got older that it was like, what kind of music do you like? And it was like, what? what kind of question is that <laughs> can i say everything <laughs> you know there might even be some things i haven't heard yet that i'm going to love i can't tell you what i'm into i'm into everything um but then you find that you get sort of herded into these boxes even as a as a musician you know herded into a, a box of what do you play oh it's a saxophone it has to be jazz but actually you know you'll find reggae in my music you'll find soul you'll find classical you'll find bits of everything Because that's what I grew up
2: with. Yeah, As if the saxophone can only be found in jazz music. Let's talk about this wonderful instrument. Why why is it such a a gorgeous, sexy instrument?
0: (laughs) Um, I think that it is very close to the voice. Uh, It's a very vocal and emotive instrument. No matter who's playing it and within what genre, it almost sings over the top of things um, and yet blends really well. So it's a very versatile instrument. And I found that, you know, I'd played the piano, the drums, the violin before meeting the saxophone. And when I did that first note, I just thought, this is it. it. This is my voice. It's, you know, it's coming from my breath, but it's percussive. Yet it's, it's, there's just something really special about it as an instrument. I might be biased, but uh, that, that's how it feels to me.
2: Is it fair to say that my theory is right, that there's not a single song on the planet which wouldn't be improved by having a sax solo in it? Exactly. I agree, one hundred percent. And apart from the answer obviously being Clarence Clemens in Bruce Springsteen's "Born to Run," what is the greatest yeah. sax solo in a song?
0: Oh man, I don't. Oh, I don't have a definitive answer to that. I have to say, I think. Um,
2: At this point, Nick and Yolanda stop the interview and they come back yeah. to it fifteen minutes later and <laughs> pretend they have a Honestly. spontaneous answer. Do you you know why? Do you know why?
0: Because every sax solo that really hits home, even, you know, if you think of Baker Street, Mm. for example, everything that hits home was done almost by accident. Nothing is orchestrated with the saxophone. You never know if it's going to squeak, if it's going to be, you know, a, a a, a key doesn't open properly or there's a sticky pad. You never know. Or if indeed you know, similar with Big Street, they thought it was out of tune at the time, but that's the that's the take they went with. So I think the perfect saxophone solo is for the moment, and that's what I keep trying to tell people: live in the moment because it might just be for this moment here. It works. Um, So yeah, I I won't even commit.
2: Don't even answer. I'm afraid (laughs) I I don't want to get too technical, but but the way you describe it and you describe playing the saxophone so lyrically, is there just this incredible thing where where you're in the zone where it just works where it comes out exactly like you're imagining it in your head exactly how you want it to sound vocally and lyrically and musically that that must be a great moment
0: it is a lovely moment and and to be fair before sort of recording everything and putting everything on social media that moment can happen every night because it's a feeling right um it doesn't matter if, and I love this in improvisation workshops that I do, it doesn't matter if the instrument squeaks or the note didn't come out how you planned because it came out how it was meant to in relation to the note before and after it, right? So, technically it feels good the audience will feel good it's lovely but then sometimes you'll sort of watch it back and think oh my god (laughs) I've changed that (laughs) read but in the moment it can feel absolutely glorious and that's what i live for really i think recording is
2: is really a tricky thing (laughs) you you know my level of perfectionism i could not cope with playing this instrument it's absolutely clear that the saxophone is variable it's not for me i can't deal with those variables at all honest
0: i mean even you know touring in in hot and humid countries for example I still remember my first tour uh, to America and to Jamaica. And I prepped a whole box of reeds, you know, instrumentalists will understand me when I say this, ready for these concerts because it was going to be back to back, no stopping, no shops I could go to. And I got there, opened the box and every single reed was warped because of the humidity and the heat. So whatever I prepared is going to sound very different on a reed that is not straight, you know. Um, But we soldier through. We do. We do all the time. Did it sound okay? Oh, it was a fine. It was fine we had a good time it's about the vibe isn't it uh but yeah safe to say that i've had to put a lot of
2: things in place to make sure that doesn't happen mm, again, doesn't happen again. <laughs> uh, let's hope for no warped reads uh the stables on november the 22nd eight o'clock kickoff what can we expect
0: oh lots of energy um i love sharing with the audience and taking you through on a journey Um, some new music as well which we're looking forward to sharing with you Um, and of course I I love playing in stables we've been there many a time uh, so I think it will feel quite familiar for for me and the band so we look forward to seeing some old friends and some new faces as well Yeah
2: there are still a few tickets left to stables.org for those yolandabrown.co.uk for the website and on social media where do we find that?
0: Uh, At yolandabrown on all social media and yolandabrown.co.uk
2: is my website Yolanda absolutely lovely to catch up with you
0: Thank you you too thanks so much
2: i to head to Yorkshire and the loft studio of Belinda O'Hooley and Heidi Tito, better known as O'Hooley and Tito. They'll be bringing their poetic, unique brand of folk music to the stables on November the 18th. Coming on the back of their brutally honest and brutally beautiful latest album, Cloudheads, this promises to be a really special evening. Heidi, Belinda, hello to both of you. Hello hi i'm listening really carefully because I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to hear the hum uh the hum that you named an album after in which you can hear from your home but i can't hear it. It, it is it audible
3: um it is when you're outside um in the loft we've got actually triple glazed velux windows so you can't hear it in here um but yeah the the, the factory has a gentle humming sound for about 50 weeks of the year what,
2: what, what factory um, is it what do they do there
3: Oh, it's called Drake's and they make all sorts of things. They make AstroTurf, um, tea bags, um, I think they they make dyes, all sorts of things. They yeah. see,
2: I, I personally find it quite comforting, sort of like a, a really low industrial hum. I'm guessing not everyone loves it?
3: Not everyone loves it. Um, there was a couple that came to have a look at a house that was for sale um, a few years ago on the street, but they came... During the quiet period when the factory closed down for a holiday, and they loved the house and they put in an offer on the spot and then when they came back for another viewing, they heard the factory humming and they they weren't impressed
2: <laughs> and didn't buy the house
3: they didn't they didn't end up buying the house and um it was our neighbor Mrs. Peace, that told us that she lives across the road she's she's lived here a very long time, seen everything come and go and everybody come and go really and she she thought it was a real shame she said the sound of that factory gave her comfort. Oh. as it was a sound of people
2: working and people j- still in jobs, and especially in the north.
3: That's yeah. a, you know, it's a bit of a sore
2: point. <laughs> it is. Well, we get to know your neighbours, anyone who listens to your music. Your neighbours do pop up quite a bit, don't they?
4: Yeah, I mean, we we kind of have a really lovely community here, um, and we do gigs. We The nearest gig to our house we ever did was in the Cone Valley Museum, which is literally five metres away from <laughs> our house. And that was very special. That was one winter. We did a Christmas concert there. And, um, yeah, we, we've got a, a lovely neighbour, Matthew, and we've written a song about him. Doggy and Matthew. His, Doggy Matthew and his rescue dog, Ted. Um, and we wrote that um, during lockdown, actually. Seeing him walk past with his dog and the beautiful relationship that they have, uh, symbiotic relationship that doesn't require shouting at the dog or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and it was when Flynn was still a baby and he was in the sling and we'd go for walks because that's all you could do really during lockdown. And we were fortunate enough to see Matthew taking Ted on Ted's last walk ever when Ted was really old and he, we saw Matthew hold Ted's back legs to give him one just, just one last walk. It was very moving and it felt important in some kind of relationship way about love and where, where love comes from and what, what it is. The real small story, yeah. but kind of translates to so many people and their relationships with animals. And um, so we wrote Matthew and Ted about them. And when we played it to Matthew, um, he cried and um, he came to our first gig, didn't he, where we played it live? Um, and I think it's it means a lot to him.
2: It's interesting because with your music, and we'll talk a little bit uh, later on uh, in particular uh, about Cloudheads, your lyrics are so crystal clear and so... Immediate. Actually, do you know what? Let's talk about Cloutes. Let's jump to that because it's the lead track on on your latest album. And, and it is remarkable because it's four minutes of the most articulate evocation and an explanation of, of being autistic, spending a lifetime learning how to mask it. That There's the line, everyone's talking in riddles and rhymes. I need more time. Uh, you sing that. And I'm not sure that being an adult living with autism and having to find the coping mechanisms around it has ever been better described. And, and that's what your music is about, isn't it? It's this incredible clarity of of words. Oh,
3: thank you very much. Um, that's a really a nice way of putting, putting it, really. Um, yeah, I mean, we just try to write from the heart and that song um, was an easy song to write in a way because it was everything that we knew and everything that we'd both brought, grown up with was that feeling of being different and the world around feeling a little bit a bit difficult to master, really. Um, And we thought for this album, because we got diagnosed in 2020 uh, during lockdown, a year after having Flynn, our boy. Um, And when we really felt that, went after we'd had a child, that our challenges as autistic women came to the fore, really. And that's when we went through the assessment process. Um, And that actually gave a lot of relief, um, really helped us understand ourselves a bit more and understand how to navigate the world around us and um you actually find there's quite a lot of um autistic people in the music world yeah um it's, it's an actual it's a we're not we're apparently one of the um things that people say about autistic people is that we lack imagination but i don't think that could be further from the truth because i know so many people who are autistic who are very very creative and have wonderfully vivid imaginations actually who can write and play beautiful music you
2: know I think it's, it's a fact as well that, that in order to go on stage and have the courage to do that or, or to write a song and expose yourself in that way, a, a certain neurodiversity is going to help that. You, you almost do have to be wired differently in order to be able to make those really big jumps because for me as a non-singer, as a non-performer, as a non I know it would scare me.
3: Mm. It's a strange thing actually because a lot of people say to us, like, you're so confident that It surprises me that you're autistic. And it's, well, that's the place we are confident, really. Because that's the place where life makes sense to us. Because in a way, you're not interacting. You're not having to follow the social rules that everybody else seems to get and you don't. You've created your own kind of musical soundscape. That It's a place that both Belinda and I feel quite safe in, actually.
2: And this is where the song was really clever as well, because it really challenged me as the listener, um, Mm. because it was really explaining... What it is like for you to meet me metaphorically. And that's yeah. what I found really eye opening because you were saying, look, you you think you're talking to me, but actually my brain's doing all sorts of somersaults and my coping <laughs> mechanisms are, are kicking in. And actually, loads is happening. And you've got no idea because actually I'm being really calm and responding to you in what I think is a normal way. And I thought yeah. doing it from that angle was really interesting.
3: Oh, wow. um I mean, gosh, you've, you've got a lot of insight into the song, actually. That's, um, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um yeah, I guess we just really thought we'd write about how it was for us. Um and it's brought a lot of people kind of closer to us in a way cuz we've been performing the song at festivals over the summer to large audiences and it's it's a bit scary every time. Yeah. Um, cuz I um I explain it cuz the word cloud heads comes from what I was described as by my dad as a child, a, a child with a head in the clouds on another planet so i talk about this on stage and it's always feels very exposing and very vulnerable to talk about that on stage but after each of these festival concerts we've had a queue of people wanting to talk about the song and wanting to buy the album with that song on lots of people um sharing their stories of somebody they know who's been diagnosed as autistic or they've been living undiagnosed with it for their whole adult you know their whole yeah. life and actually been a real connector which is something you know you maybe wouldn't expect from people that really struggle with social interaction
2: there's been a lot around undiagnosed autism i think uh, around the same time as you guys came out uh, melanie sykes did the same didn't she 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 spoke of a of a weight coming off her shoulders and and of her life suddenly making sense i do have one final theory about this track by the way i don't don't want to go too deep i have one final theory and that is that whether or not you are neurodiverse whether or not you're autistic I think many of us can also identify with that notion of living with a front. We're all really struggling to stay afloat in in different ways. Um, yeah. In my own personal example, and I've I've come out on this, I've come out about this on the radio and talk very publicly. I live with very acute anxiety. Now, anyone mm. who hears a radio presenter or broadcaster, gonna think, ah, confident and they don't worry mm. about anything. With me, it's the opposite. You know, I wake up in the mm. morning and my brain is sort of pistons of adrenaline uh, firing. Even mm. even if I'm relatively calm. Arm. And uh, and I'm constantly uh, faking it when I meet people I'm constantly faking it and I uh, I think that song really taps into that notion that everybody in their different way is fighting their battle and, and everyone wants uh, to come across in a certain way but everyone uh, no matter what it is no matter which cross they have to bear everyone's uh, fighting something aren't they
5: mm,
3: yeah and it's it's nice to feel that, that the song connected on a wide level with people um, you know people um, struggling with anxiety and depression and even We've even had people with dementia yeah. talking to us about how they needing more time to process things connected with them. And, you know, you, you, when, you, when you write a song that's very personal, it's really scary. But then you get so much more back, I think, when you are open about your challenges and your difficulty. Um, it's good. It's really, it really sounds cliche, but it's good to talk.
2: It is good to talk and it's good for you to put it out there and it's good for us to listen to that's that's the that's the basic root of of great music isn't it? Uh, let's talk yeah. about you two for a moment you you met in a bar am I right in saying you bonded over a fruit gum?
4: <laughs> well, it's kind of um I was doing a gig, uh Belinda, so I was doing a gig at my local theater, and um Heidi was in the audience, and I obviously I didn't know that because I'd not met Heidi before. But she emailed me afterwards because um, she said that she was really affected by the concert and told me that she was a singer-songwriter as well. And I think it was at the next gig that um, Heidi came over and and gave me her CD and I listened to that on the way home and was really impressed and affected by her voice. And it was not long after that that we just started meeting up and singing together And, and what was really strange was that the minute we sang together, our voices and the, the ease of which we could harmonise together. I think it really surprised both of us. Um, and also we were kind of falling for each other. So it all happened at the same time, didn't it?
2: It's interesting that you talk about, you know, falling for each other. And, and I, I can't think of a, a subtle way to ask this question. But when when you think about musical duos, they're all about chemistry you know that that thing which brings you together and then relationships marriages they're, they're the same the sort of inexplicable chemistry that brings you together um I wonder whether it's quite a journey bonding together both musically and romantically or alternatively is it actually just one and the same
4: uh, I know what you mean I mean some people say to us I don't know how you <laughs> manage to live together work together you've had a child together yeah. Do you not get sick of each other? Um, And I don't know whether it's partly to do with also being autistic, but um, we both find each other uh, a kind of guide role for each other. um, And that's really important. And we both feel more comfortable together kind of negotiating life. Um, And I think that adds an extra angle to it, really. Um, And also, we never get sick of... Mm -hmm anything we don't really we don't either neither of us suffer from boredom (laughs) and i don't know whether this is autistic as well because we will have the same conversations won't we over and over again and we notice the very little tiny details about things so you know we could do the same walk We've, we've got walks around our house that we've done Around the sort of area, not, not just wearing the lounge or anything. Do a little bit further than that. We, you know, when we go up on the Mars and stuff, and we've done them thousands of times now, because we've been here 17 years, um, and we always see something different. Yeah. And we always find the ones. And we're really lucky, in a way, that we have been able to carve out a career together mm. um, where we're kind of better together mm. than apart um i think we are very i mean i always say it to Heidi, I say aren't we lucky aren't we lucky that we can do this because i don't know what else i'd yeah. do me either no i mean honestly i really i take my heart off to people who can do kind of conventional jobs because i think i'd really struggle with stuff like that this is kind of one we've kind of made up isn't it yeah yeah right niche
2: i think also you've you've answered it without realising it because you, you've referred to one thing that anyone in a nice relationship, anyone in a nice creative relationship, anyone in a nice working relationship can, can identify with, and, and that's the word comfort. So when, when you're with uh. someone, you do get that, innate sense of comfort and being comfortable and and understanding each other and of course it's the same with with music, you know, you, you feel safe with each other and, and comfortable and it actually really makes sense, although people say to you how do you manage to, you know, be parents together, live together, sing together, work together, actually the way you've described it, it, it makes complete sense.
4: Yeah, we, we... I think the thing about comfortable is it's, you don't realise how important it is until you're out of your comfort zone. And I think it's important to be out of your comfort zone as well. And we try to push ourselves musically Um, with each album. We try and think of new ways of saying things. Um, we're both quite good, I would say, constructive critic crit- critics of each other's yeah. contributions.
2: And you trust um, each other clearly as well.
4: Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. I think it's putting it all together. Um, and obviously, we have our ups and downs, and our <laughs> like any couple. we yeah. fratch like mad, don't we? Hides. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> the re- the reason there's a momentary silence, silence here is I'm wondering to fratch is, is 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 this to argue? It's it it's kind of bickering, right?
3: Yeah, is <laughs> it, it, I think it's that thing that happens when you've been together a long time, isn't it? You sort of you saw yourself with each other yeah and it's just it's not it's not as big as arguing it's just a kind of you know wittering at each Fratch. other
2: it's my new favorite yeah, word mm, uh, it's be, Good isn't it? before we talk about your gig at the stables there's a story i want you to tell me uh, the story of ann lister um this this halifax landowner erotic diaries in code <laughs> leads to the song gentleman jack the theme tune to gentleman jack uh, i need to know more about ann lister
3: well yeah she um she, so she was around during the in the 1800s, and we discovered her um in two thousand eleven, I think it was um A friend was part of a documentary about her, and she told us all about it and funny enough, growing up in Huddersfield, which is really near Halifax, neither of us knew a lot about her. She wasn't massively spoken about, to be honest, I think because she was a lesbian, people you know kept that a bit quiet. But we were so excited when we heard her story. And she said that she was having relationships with the local women and that she was really disliked by all the businessmen because she was actually had a very amazing business acumen herself, which didn't really suit the image of women during those times. Or well,
2: the narrative, yeah.
3: The narrative, yeah. Um, and we were just, she, it just really piqued our interest. And she said, Oh, and you know, behind her back, they used to refer to her as Gentleman Jack. And we, right. we literally grabbed each of them, got goosebumps because when that happens, we know we have to write a song yeah. where we both feel the feeling at the same time about a topic or a story. Yeah. We just had to write about it. And it was one of the most fun songs we've ever written. I think we were in Ireland at your dad's house there. And we were just, I think we went for a run and Blinda, on the run, just turned around and we went behind her back, she's Gentleman Jack. And then we just kind There's of riffed line. off each other like that while we were running um and it was just it was just a great song to write. Um and people have loved it all the way through, even before the TV programme. Um a lot of people were like, I love that song about and people would say Jack the lad, say, yeah. Well, it's actually Jack the Lass. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did did you, you ever know? get to read the diaries? Do, are they accessible?
3: Um, I mean we haven't read the actual diaries, um but uh we we were working with a woman called Anne Um Choma who um, translated the diaries um, for Sally Wainwright for the show. Um, and she said it's just um, amazing to go through. That. I mean, yeah. there are five million words worth of them. So I think, uh, yeah, she was a busy woman. I don't know how she found time to write all those diaries with all the other things she was up to.
2: And as a special treat, you're going to sing it live for us, aren't you?
4: Yeah, I thought it'd be nice for us to do that Mm. Um, We love singing that
2: song There you go, I'll, I'll shush that for a bit and over to you both
1: Nobody likes a jackalass, Jack the lass, Jack, the
4: lass, Jack the No one likes a
2: Jack the Lass. The code is back, your back so the knives are out The a gentleman Jack. There's Belinda O'Hulli and Heidi Tito singing Gentleman Jack, which we will hear at the stables, I would
4: imagine. <laughs> I think we might
3: have to do that one. Yeah, I think there might be some protests if that wasn't included in the set list.
2: <laughs> and, and this gig that that we're going to be able to see at the stables, um, of course, we'll be able to watch this most unusual of folk instruments, the uh, the lesser spotted piano.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, when when I first started uh, playing on the folk scene, um, people would kind of, some people would turn their nose up at the piano and I used to laugh about it because... Um, years and years and years ago, most most houses had a piano. Schools had pianos, churches had pianos. They were the most accessible instrument really. Um, and it's been an accompanying uh instrument for folk music for years and years and years. I just wonder whether it's because they're less available now. So I bring a digital piano with me sometimes and I think it's the the fact that I plug it in and he's like, oh, oh in. you've got, you've plugged it in. That's not folk music. But we argue that our music is story based. It's about the things we feel strongly about. It's often about people, um, people that may not have reached the history books, but we want to sing about them. Um, and we feel that we do write, we actually write contemporary folk songs. So um, stick that in your pie.
2: And ignore the snobbery <laughs> around a plugged in piano.
4: It, yes, ignore the snobbery. Um, it's a really, really good plug-in piano. <laughs> Although I think at the stables, I think I've got a real one yeah. in the night.
2: You absolutely will have. Uh, and it'll be perfect for Wednesday, the 15th of November, kick off at eight o'clock. Tickets, of course, available at stables.org. Tickets still available and well worth, well worth going to see um, Heidi and Belinda. I can tell you that uh, for free. It's been lovely to chat to you both. Uh, more information about what you're up to uh, website, the best place?
4: yeah yeah oh just get on social media google us we're on everything
2: do <laughs> me a favor do me a spelling so that we can make sure we find you correctly
4: all right oh double o l e y and and then t i d o w oh Hoolie and tido
2: heidi and belinda absolutely lovely to chat to you And turn up the volume
4: and thank
6: you very much coming up in november
5: at the stables in milton keynes
6: My name is Alison Young and these are my programmer picks of the month for November. My first pick of the month is an artist who's visited the stables since the very beginning of her career, when she was spotted as a massive emerging vocal talent by our founder, Sir John Dankworth. She is jazz singer and broadcaster Claire Teal. My friendship with Claire also goes back a long way to 2002, when I first booked her and her band to play at a small arts centre I was managing, the Old Town Hall in Hemel Hempstead. I'd listened to a copy of her first album, Orsino's Songs, and from the opening moment, the first track on the album, her version of the Mamas and Papas California Dreaming, blew me away it was a close production and the immediacy and her warmth and the warmth of her voice was incredibly seductive I immediately fired off an email to the contact on her website to inquire about booking not long after the office phone rang and on the other end of the line was Claire herself this is quite unusual and I was taken by surprise but we had a lovely conversation about the album the venue and why she should play it and what sort of piano did we have? Suffice to say I was delighted when a few months later she and her band played a sold-out gig and I think she and her pianist at the time, Simon Was forgave us the rather battered old upright piano in the venue. Fast forward to 2023 and Claire and her trio will be playing the stables on the 11th of November with our top-notch Steinway grand piano at her full disposal. My second pick of the month is fellow Scot Blue Rose Code aka Ross Wilson. This is an artist who's played our smaller venues stage 2 a couple of times in the past but we'll take to the main stage this time around with his trio I first came across him when someone gave me a copy of the EP Whitechapel which was an early release on Reveal Records in 2013 and a forerunner to his first album North 10 around the same time the folk singer Karine Powart came to play the stables and when we were chatting after her gig she gave me a couple of booking recommendations one being Blue Rose Code to listen to his records and to see him live it's a joyous experience, lyrics cry with passion and integrity songs that compass folk, jazz, americana but most of all heart and soul it's no wonder there had been comparisons with Van Morrison and John Martin the latter whom he saw in concert in Glasgow in 2001 the experience galvanising him to become a musician One of my favourite Blue Rose Codes tracks is Over the Fields, dedicated to his late friend and rock musician, John Wetton, And you can hear this on the Stables website. For more information, head over to stables.org, where you can also find out how you can help by
0: becoming a friend of the Stables, volunteering, or making a donation to the charity. To
2: follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, just search for Stables MK. Let's finish with something very different and certainly a first for me in the thousands of interviews I've done over the years. Tarje Isungset is the creator of ice music. He plays instruments carved from ice and he's bringing his ice quartet to the stables on the 9th of November. Tarje joins me now from his, his home in Norway. Tarje, lovely to have you on Turn Up The Volume. I know you're in a, in a town called Bergen. Uh, describe where you are. I'm in my house. And uh, the house is situated up in the hills,
7: so I have a beautiful view of the city. And, you know, Bergen is the city of rain, but today we have blue sky and sunny day.
2: It sounds absolutely perfect. Now, my job in this interview is to try and give a really clear sense of this incredible show that you're bringing to the stables, because it is totally unique. So let's start with the very beginning. When did you first hear the, the percussive sound of ice? When did you fall in love with it?
7: Uh, the first time was in 1999. So it's quite a few years ago. Um, this was this was up north in uh, Sweden, actually. And uh, I checked the sound of, uh, of the ice and it sounded amazing and beautiful, I think. So I kind of had no choice. I just had to continue this work and uh, i'm still doing it <laughs> <laughs> and what does
2: ice even sound like
7: i think it sounds surprisingly uh like warm and gentle also i mean there are various kinds of sounds that you can make with ice uh <laughs> and i think we all are familiar with the crushed ice sound yes you know, or or walking on a really cold snow as we do in norway sometimes it's like, those kinds of stuff! this is really good for percussion um and then you can also make uh, ice horns and uh, i blow the ice horns uh, sometimes and uh it doesn't sound like a trumpet uh, or like a yeah i don't know maybe a little bit similar to a ram's horn yeah um but then you also can make melodies and tones and then i use my isophone are are you familiar with
2: isophone no do tell me what is that (laughs)
7: okay it's a kind of a marimba uh and i can actually tune the bars and i have to tune them every day before the concert because the tuning will change while melting and 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 so on but this sound from this instrument i think is really warm nice and gentle and also i can have some chimes um that sounds nearly like bells or i don't know to me it all sounds like ice instruments
2: yeah We'll talk about um, how you deal with the melting very shortly, but I just want to touch on you mentioning their percussion, because in many ways, being a percussionist does give you much more scope to create. By this, I mean, if you're a pianist, you you play the piano. If you're a trumpeter, you you play the trumpet. But you as a percussionist, you can play anything which makes a noise when you touch it. Am I right? That's
7: the privilege of being a drummer or a percussionist. Uh, Actually, anything. And I've been working on several... Uh, kinds of sound sources during the years um, and ice ice is one of them so uh, I can I think there is kind of no limit of what you can do is uh, just a matter of how hard you uh, are willing to work
2: yeah D- does ice sound different from different parts of the world I, I know your instruments have to come from real ice, don't they they're not coming from commercial ice so are you able to find different sounds from different ice from different countries
7: Mm, different uh, sound from uh, country to country or at least if you go north or south uh, on the on the planet but also from year to year so uh, we have good years and bad years you know like wine um, the best year so far is 2003 from north of sweden
2: why was that the best year <laughs> because
7: of uh that's the best sound I ever had so far.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was watching a, a film at the weekend, uh, which yeah. was all about a, a someone who, a Japanese chef, a Michelin star Japanese chef, who is the best mm-hmm. sushi chef in the world. And it was talking about his level of obsession. And for example, he can look at a tuna, just look at the tuna fish, and know if it's going to be the top mm-hmm. quality. Is it the same for you with ice?
7: Um, sometimes I thought it would be like this, but. I've experienced also um, other things, but um, sometimes it's like this. I can I can look at it and I can say most likely these eyes will sound good, but I'm not sure if this might has changed with the with the most recent years. Uh, and also, you know, you can have perfect, good-looking artificial eyes, and it does not sound.
2: It sounds rubbish. <laughs> so
7: yeah. <laughs> It is, uh, that's true. I tried the artificial ice from Australia, India, uh, Russia, China, Japan, America, Canada, even England. Yeah. You know, all over Europe. Uh, I, uh it's always the same. It's no sound. Uh, but with natural frozen ice is, is kind of uh, very exciting for me to check it. If it sounds like I think, or maybe it doesn't sound at all. Um, um, that, that's a big difference, I tell you. If you're a musician and your instrument doesn't sound, it's uh, that's hard work.
2: <laughs> I can imagine. I wonder where that difference comes from. You're lucky we, we can't actually do this experiment now. But if I was to play uh, an instrument made out of ice from Norway and then an instrument made out of ice from Canada and an instrument made out of ice from northern Sweden, would you be able to tell me where that ice was from, just from hearing it?
7: Um, hmm...
2: You can say well, yes, because there's no way of proving whether it's a, it's a no. But I'm just interested whether in your ear you know that there is a, a different sound. Uh,
7: I know there is a different sound. and I recognize the sound that I've heard from these places. But the tricky thing is that the sound might change from year to year. Because there is nothing stable with ice music. Yeah. So it's hard work. <laughs> First of all, you need to find the ice, ice that sounds. and um, Sometimes that's really hard
2: in many ways that must be the most exciting part for you because this is the the ultimate in improvised art isn't it because if if every year so you could have the same music but your instruments will change from one year to the next so you're constantly having to evolve that's that's correct very clever yes Uh, and keeping up with it must must be quite difficult you you were talking earlier on about you know melting ice and we know ice melts Hmm. Uh, although we think the uk is cold it's certainly not arctic cold and our concert venues are not that cold how do you manage logistically so first of all keeping the instruments safe between concerts which i imagine is relatively doable because you know you can have refrigerated vehicles but then more importantly during the concerts because if you're changing those instruments do you have do you have like a a huge freezer on the side of the stage
7: uh no we have some uh special made covers for the instruments and i have my fantastic ice Assistant, or ice master Ina, Miss Ina, she is uh, driving the the little ice uh, trailer and uh, and also bringing everything on stage exactly when I need it. So this yeah. is very much about timing, because we know that okay, this instrument starts melting after three till four minutes, and then we have to change the instrument and so on. And so yeah. the plan for the concert is not at all improvised. Uh, it, when you do indoor concerts because it's very much about the timing it
2: has to be very specific when you look at i don't know an electric guitar a great fender um by the time it's been used on tour over and over and again you you can see the wear and tear and that probably actually enhances both the look and the sound when you come to the end of of your tour when you've done a number of days for example in the uk will the instruments start to actually look tired or will they still actually be almost perfect
7: um we have to look after them and uh, and resize them like uh, every day. Uh, so they get slightly smaller for every day. <laughs> so uh, um, then we have to make new instruments, you know, yeah. after the tour and uh, replace everything probably. This is also a matter of... Um, uh, how solid instruments are some some instruments are more solid than others and they last longer
2: I Can you imagine who, who makes these instruments because it must be quite a, a long and specialized process
7: yeah i have some carvers uh around that i have been working with or collaborating with them and, and uh, kind of educated so i can do this job by myself but i i'm kind of too busy for it so i have uh, two carvers in norway available for doing the, the job uh one in switzerland and one in the u.s
2: it's such a powerful thing isn't it because we think about music uh, providing us with the, the comfort of nature you know often um chill music relaxing music can be very much about nature sounds and of course that's it, what you do but you do it with nature's own tools it it is a really powerful message isn't it
7: yeah uh i hope so um this is the main reason for me doing this work. Since I was a teenager, I've been very much into to nature and uh, environmental and climate, climate problems that we also had in the 70s, you know. Uh, so the mission of, uh, of the music, um, I think, is uh, a really important part of it. Although I will not do a lot of talking about this on stage, but I, I hope that uh, the listeners can feel it.
2: And also, we have to understand the reality that if we continue on the path that we're on, you making music in this way will become more and more difficult. That's the reality, isn't it?
7: Yeah, it is the reality. I have an ice music festival. I had it for nearly 20 years in Norway. And we have to move higher and higher up in the mountains. Uh, And uh, we had some uh, difficulties uh, with the instruments melting. But I mean, it's a minor problem. If uh, I lose my job because of uh, climate problems, uh, uh, there there are much more important things
2: going on. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. As a final thought, do you want people to come to the stables on the 9th of November because they want to hear some incredible, ethereal, beautiful music? Or do you want them to come because they've never seen ice instruments played and they're intrigued by the concept? Which, which is more important for you?
7: Mm, I think it's a nice combination. But uh, of course, uh, it's it's really nice if people are into the music already and kind of know a little bit what it's about. But also, I love to surprise people. Yeah, um, and I think that's also a part of the project. Uh, if people can leave the concert with a smile, you know, and they, then and they may might think, "Wow, I, I didn't." expect this or i didn't knew this was possible to do or this was strange or
2: (laughs) or or isn't 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 nature just incredible
7: that's the most important thing of every of 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 all you know nature is the boss Uh, nature is the most important thing we have on this planet so we really have to take care of nature and and we really have to treat the nature like you treat your best friend
2: well, the concert is Thursday, the ninth of November at eight o'clock. Do we need to dress up warm, or, or is it going to be normal temperature in the venue? <laughs>
7: Good question. Up on stage, it's a little bit cold because of the instruments are pretty cold, but for the audience, no problem. It's normal temperature.
2: If you want to see a little bit of this uh, before buying your tickets, there is quite a lot on, on YouTube of uh, Toria playing, uh, or you can go to his website. And I am going to spell it very carefully, so it's Toria Izungset. So that's T E R J. E I S U N G-S-E-T so sort of phonetically it's terja isongset dot no uh, for the website and you can see uh, videos of him there and follow Todia onto his social media as well I think this sounds absolutely beautiful and fascinating and unreal in equal measure and I, I think that many people will uh, will enjoy coming to see it at the stables and Todja I'm really grateful for you uh, for joining us from, from Bergen today
7: thanks a lot looking forward to come to the UK again
2: Finishing off this episode of Turn Up the Volume in Style. And I think it's one of those situations where to get the true majesty and beauty and originality of what an artist does, you'll have to go to the stables to find out and see it live. Stables.org for ticket details for all the artists featured on this month's episode. And Stables MK across social media to be kept fully up to date with everything going on at the venue, which, as you've heard today, is diverse, challenging. And creative thanks as always for taking the time to listen to turn up the volume if you enjoy it please do tell your friends to seek it out and don't forget to follow this podcast if you're not already doing so that way you get notified when the future episodes come out and we'd always be really really grateful if you have a moment just leave us a review or click on a rating on your podcast app it really helps get the word out there about the podcast and that by definition helps the work of the stables as well i'll be back next month with the december edition more great artists for you until next time from me nick koffer and all the stables family it's goodbye for now Dinner.